This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 174, and I am solo doing something I've never done on this podcast. I'm going to share my story and some of the lessons I've learned from recovering from decades of chronic dieting and body hate. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 174. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Intuitive RD who left this amazing review. I really enjoy listening to summer smash diet culture and the incessant need that women feel to be smaller. I've listened to many of them, but most recently the ones on body image are wonderful. Thank you so much, Intuitive RD. I wonder if that is Kirsten, the actual Intuitive RD. Well, if it is, thank you and hi. And it was so nice chatting with you earlier this week on your podcast, <laughs> which those of you can listen to by going to the Intuitive RD's podcast, which is called Intuitive Bites. And if that wasn't Kirsten who left that review, then whoever else is using the tag Intuitive RD, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You can leave a review by going to iTunes, selecting ratings and reviews and clicking to leave a review. It helps others to find the show here and everything that you're learning. And you can also help this show out by subscribing. So subscribe via iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever platform you're using to listen to podcasts. And lastly, you can get the free 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. So for this episode, I wanted to do something I've never done before, which is talk about my story. It has been 174 episodes and I've never shared my story. I was looking back and I realized that the very first episode of this, I said something along the lines of, I'm not going to be sharing my story in this first episode and maybe I'll do it at a later date. I've talked about it a little bit on other people's podcasts and, and um, written interviews that I've done and things like that but I've never shared it on my own. And I've shared bits and pieces of it and have talked about it, like I said, on other people's platforms. But I wanted to open up about it today and specifically use it to share lessons I've learned in doing this work and working with others over the last several years. So I, you know, I've hesitated to share my story on here for a couple of reasons. Number one, I really don't want my story to supersede my coaching training and experience. My story is part of who I am and it drove me to want to pursue helping people with body image, self-worth and confidence. But 
that's not what I want to be known for. I want to be known and respected for my expertise on the subject matter, my ability as a coach and not my experience as a chronic dieter. Although, you know, it certainly helps give me a perspective, but my lived experience is not the same as others. And so I don't bring that into my coaching practice. My coaching practice is based on my coaching training and my expertise in that area. And so that's why I've always sort of divested the two and and kept them separate. And then the other reason why I haven't really shared it is because I have a lot of privilege as a cis hetero, medium sized, kind of cute white woman. And I don't experience things like weight discrimination or racism, which will have a big impact on our body image and the way we feel about ourselves. So, you know, I would never want to say if I can do this, so can you. And that's why I've held back on on sharing that story and have instead chosen to share other people's stories that represent a wide range of, of experiences and lived experiences that I don't have. But why I, I decided to share it today was for a few reasons. I wanted to give you some lessons that I've learned. I want to share some things because I know a lot of you listening are maybe newer in this process, newer in this journey, and maybe it would be helpful to kind of know like, oh, okay, there's something that I can maybe do better or do differently, or um, I haven't thought about it that way. And that could be really helpful for me as I'm moving forward. And I also just want to illustrate, you know, what a disordered relationship with food and exercise looks like, because I honestly thought that everything I was doing was normal and healthy. And so maybe some of the things that I'm going to mention without giving, going into too many specifics is something that you can just resonate with and, and then hopefully know, okay, that's not normal. It doesn't mean you're broken. It just means that you've been influenced by diet culture, but there is a way out and, and it doesn't need to be that way and that you're not alone. That's really important too. And I want to illustrate what a healthy relationship with food and movement can look like and that that doesn't come overnight. And I also just want parents who are listening to hear more about what you can do to ensure your child has a more healthy relationship with food and movement than I did. So those, my, those are my reasons behind wanting to share the my story. And yeah, I'll be curious to know what you take away from it and uh, whether you found it helpful. But let's dive in. So as a kid, my story is probably pretty similar to a lot of people. I I don't remember ever feeling good in my body. I was really always sort of like a more self-conscious, shy kid, which now I realize is just sort of traits of being an introvert. I was never athletic and I was teased and bullied for my body from a young age a lot. So I had an, I have an older brother. He's five years older than me. We have a really great relationship now. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was bullied a lot by by him, like like mentally and emotionally. And he really teased me for my body incessantly. Like it's traumatizing, really, <laughs> what I experienced. And I'll talk a little bit about you know forgiveness and and working through that. But I you know when I look at pictures, I was clearly in a straight sized body, but it didn't feel that way because I was constantly teased for it, constantly bullied. You know, anytime I ate something, anytime I walked through the house, like it was just, it was relentless. And so that created a lot of shame inside of me. And I went from not feeling good in my body to really hating it before I was even a teenager. Like that's just what I remember is just absolutely hating my body and thinking 
like, this is the worst possible thing that I could have. So that was a huge factor in why I started dieting, but I also never really had a normal relationship with food. So my mom was always yo-yo dieting. From the time I can remember, my mom was always kind of on or off a diet. I remember her taking me to Weight Watchers meetings, like her Weight Watchers weigh-ins. And she was always talking about how good or bad we were for eating certain things. And she was always talking about negatively about her body you know, asking me what I thought of her body and, and things like that. And so the messages that I got really early on were fat is bad and it is to be avoided. Like we are supposed to be thin, thinner, thinner is better. And in terms of my relationship with food, it was a really interesting dichotomy because my mom is half Italian. So I grew up with a lot of Italian influence you wouldn't know it. I'm part Italian, but I am. Uh, and so I grew up with this message that, you know, food is love and we were always encouraged to eat more. You know, I'd go to my grandmother's house and have this massive dinner. And then she'd come out 30 minutes later and say, who needs a sandwich? You know, and we'd be stuffed and then, you know, encouraged to eat more. And, and we were applauded for eating. And then on the other side of the coin, I wasn't allowed any sugar and like very limited processed food. So my mom used to take me to this weird health food store, which was in the eighties. So this was like pre whole foods and pre health food stores. So nowadays this would seem like a normal store, but back in the eighties, this was like a very strange store. And that's where we would get, you know, cereal with no sugar and, and peanut butter with no sugar and, and cookies with, with carob chips instead of chocolate chips and just gross <laughs> stuff. So I had this really interesting uh, paradigm of like, on one hand, this foundation of sort of restriction and like good, bad, uh, looking at food through the, the lens of like good and bad. And then also like having this like normalization of binging and like encouragement of like overeating and like food is love. And, um, you know, all that stuff was laid down early and not in an intentionally harmful way. It was because those are the two dynamics at work in my house. One of them being the cultural influence of, you know, my grandmother and my mother and the other being the influence of diet culture on my mom and therefore my household. And you know, for me, like I just always live this life of restriction and, and binging because we weren't allowed anything with, with sugar in it. Like everything was more like quote unquote, um, like health food store type stuff. But then when we were allowed sugar, which was on special occasions on, on weekends, uh, we were allowed to, to eat as much as we wanted. So to give you a couple examples, my dad would um, take me to a baseball game and I would be allowed to like have whatever I wanted to eat. So I would go to these baseball games with my dad. I think I was probably like 10 years old at the time or something. And I would spend the entire game eating like everything at the concession stand, stand which there's nothing wrong with, but because all that stuff was forbidden, I would just stuff myself. And then as soon as I was stuffed, I would be like, can we go home? <laughs> We'd always have to go home in like the seventh inning. <laughs> and then same thing with Halloween. Uh, you know, my mom's philosophy on Halloween was like, okay, you have to, whatever you don't eat tonight, we're throwing out. So this whole idea of like that scarcity mentality mentality was implanted really early. And when we have that mentality of, of scarcity, like that this food is going away, I'm not have access to it anymore. 
then we're always going to, we're always going to binge and eat to physical discomfort. And that's exactly what we would do. So instead of, you know, kind of having access to these foods all the time and, and seeing them as just, you know, all foods, like it's just a food, we saw this as like this forbidden thing that we were only allowed once in a while. And so when we did have it, we had to eat as much as possible in order to, you know, kind of satisfy our, our, our desire for it. And that's, I mean, that's so, that's dieting, right? Like, but as a, as a kid, that was just the way that, that we were brought up to eat. And like, I wasn't necessarily restricted. Like I was eating fairly intuitively, but within the confines of what I had learned was, you know, the foods that were accessible in my house. Sorry, there's a siren going off behind me. You can hear that. So that distracted me for a second there. <laughs> but you can see how this restrict, restrict binge cycle was happening before I was even actively engaging in dieting. And like, this is just what I thought was normal. And I see this, like a lot of parents think like, I'm just doing what's best for my child. Like, I don't want my child to have sugar. I want to like control what we eat in the house. And to some extent, like that's there, you know, that's, that's fine. But then, you know, depending on how it's worded, depending on how you do handle things like sugar, you start to create this relationship where kids are seeing food through the lens of good or bad. There was a lot of talk of like, we're eating this, we're being bad right now in my household. So, you know, like we're eating chocolate bars, we're being so bad, like let's be bad together. Like that was a lot of the the language that was talked about as it relates to food or like good for you for eating that. Um, and so that all that stuff is diet culture talk right there. And, and that's that, that was my relationship with food as a child. And then around the age of 12 is when things started to really shift in terms of my body image because I, I hit puberty quite early and my body changed quite rapidly compared to some of my friends. And I remember I was a synchronized swimmer when I was that age and it was actually like the one sport I'm quite, I was quite good at, <laughs> but it was, you know, one of the things they did there was body fat testing. And I don't remember specifically what they said about my results, but I do remember thinking I needed to lose weight. Like I remember that being part of it as a result. And, and so then I started to kind of think like, okay, I need to lose weight. Like that was the age that I remember thinking I need to start to like lo- to lose weight. And I got teased more for my body then because I got big boobs really quickly. So the kids, at school would make fun of me about that. And I also remember around this time sitting on my bed and my mom pointed at my tummy and said, we need to do something about this because my body had changed quite rapidly when I hit puberty, which now I know is totally normal. And actually one of the lessons I want people to take away from this is that, you know, a significant increase in weight can happen around puberty, especially for, for females as a result of the hormonal changes that are happening. And so I think I hear sometimes parents getting alarmed because they see their child's body changing quite rapidly, but it's normal. (laughs) That's what we're supposed to do. And unfortunately, in my case here, like, you know, it just seemed like it was more excessive, I guess. And that's, you know, that was really when I started to kind of actively try to change my body. So I would exercise in my room and nothing extreme. I wasn't cutting out foods, but I just sort of was thinking like, okay, I need to lose weight. And I remember talking about it with some of my friends, like they were eating some diet food and stuff like that. That's when it started to pop up for me. 
And shortly after that, I was diagnosed with depression and had like a couple of really rough years. And that sort of really threw gasoline on the fire in terms of the way that I felt about myself and just feeling like there was something wrong with me and really just feeling really bad about, about who I was and, 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 and hating my body. And then we know when I, once I entered into high school, I think this is one of the biggest catalysts. And again, this is a lesson, especially for parents, but I was 14 years old. We had to do an assignment for science class that involved tracking our calories and macronutrients. And we had to do it. I think it was for a week or something like that. And my mom had which I know seems absolutely ridiculous in hindsight, right? But I heard from someone who is a podcast listener who follows me recently that their daughter was given the same homework assignment to track calories. I don't know if they had to track macronutrients, but they had to track calories. And like, it just blows my mind because this can be such a catalyst to disordered eating. That's something that no one should do, let alone kids and teenagers who are much more vulnerable to that kind of messaging. But for me, when I did the assignment, my mom had this diet book with macronutrients listed for each food. So I used that for the assignment. And I remember my mom saying like, well, if you want to lose weight, you have to eat a certain number of grams of fat or less. And I'm not going to say the number because it's ridiculous and low and wouldn't be enough to sustain any human. And was also this again, this was like early nineties. So still super into the low fat craze. Um, but after doing that assignment, I remember I was, that's when I started to be really conscious of, of calories and really conscious of macronutrients. And I stopped eating peanut butter and I started to eat low fat foods that were super popular in the nineties. And I was on that low fat train for way too long (laughs) before it then switched to like a low carb train. And then like, who knows what the trend is going to be in a couple of years. But, you know, looking back, I don't recall ever following a diet, quote unquote, during that time. Like I never said like, okay, I'm going to do this, but it was just, I started to become really hyper-conscious of what I was eating and the macronutrients in my food. And I started to try to exercise more with the intention of trying to lose weight. And my best friend through high school, she had uh, like, cause my food was, was, you know, we had like different stuff at my house than my friends had. My friend had like this cupboard of like cookies and chips and Twinkies and like everything, like just everything. Right. And, um, I remember just going to her house every weekend and just eating like her entire pantry <laughs> and I would just go to her house and binge. And I don't remember feeling guilty about that at the time. So I was just in this like normal restrict binge cycle for most of my life, but there wasn't a lot of guilt or shame around that until later on when I was really being more intentional with the restriction versus it being just kind of the result of the way that I'd been raised around food. And, and because I was never really at that time, I wasn't really restricting calories that much. I was just, you know, being more conscious of of things. And it still felt kind of normal and kind of innocent. And so I just like pause in the story here because there's some things I just want to call out. If you're a parent, this stuff starts really early and kids are watching and learning from everything that you do. The research says that one in four kids have already tried dieting by the age of seven like seven years old, that blows my mind. And the message for me that was loud and clear was that fat is bad and something to be avoided, which is is really the message of our fat phobic culture. But that message was never challenged for me at home. In fact, it was propped up and, and that's what I was, you know, 
that's what I interpreted as believing is true. And, you know, I learned that as women, we, you know, we needed to be thin and that was reinforced at home and all the media that I was exposed to contained images of thin, white, socially attractive women and, you know, Disney movies always had a really thin woman who needed to be saved by a prince, very sexist. There was no media literacy happening in my household. This was the time where um, Special K had this ad campaign that said, you can't pinch an inch. And it was like, you shouldn't be able to pinch an inch of your waist, which yeah, you should be, you should probably be able to pinch more is the way that I would respond to that now. Um, but, uh, anyways, it was, it was just, that was, that was the time that was the, the, the times that we were in diet culture, sexism, patriarchal society, stuff that we still have, obviously now it's just sort of morphed into a different form. But back then it was, you know, it was, the message was loud and clear that you had to be thin. And I learned that some foods are good and others are bad and that, you know, we're bad if we eat them. And so the overarching message of, you know, watch what you eat and eat less and move more was really embedded into my, to my brain. And so what I really learned from that time of my life was one, we have to speak up when we see problematic assignments and teachings in school. Cause I think that was the bit, one of the biggest triggers for my disordered eating that later really kind of blew up on me. But if you are a parent and you see stuff like that, like if your kids are being taught health and nutrition and you see things being classified as good and bad, or you see messages that are fat phobic that don't promote a message that, you know, you, you, that your health is disconnected from your weight, like, please speak up. We have to change these things in our schools and feel free to message me if you need some resources around that. I also learned that, you know, for me personally, this stuff was implanted in me for a long time, but it's still possible to change the beliefs and our patterns of behavior about food and weight and our value, even if we've been operating that way from the time that we kind of came into this world. I don't restrict and binge anymore. I don't see food as good and bad, good or bad. And I think that it's actually kind of shocking that I could overcome that given the fact that it was so hard coded in me from such a young age. It was like learning the English language. It's just the only way that I speak, but I don't look at food that way anymore. And the other part uh, that I wanted to touch on here is just the notion of forgiveness. So, you know, like most of my clients, you know, I was influenced by people in my life. So, you know, my mother who um, was under the spell of diet culture in her own way, my brother who really bullied me for my body, I could hold a lot of resentment and anger for both of those things. And I did for a long time. So when I started to open my eyes to diet culture, I felt a lot of anger towards my mom for for watering so many of the seeds that our culture had planted in me. And it took me a while to really get to a point where I was able to look at it and know, first of all, my mom's amazing. <laughs> like she's a really good mom. So this may not apply to everyone because I know there are some not so good parents out there, people who were abused and things like that by their, by their parents or are emotionally neglected. I was not one of those situations at all. So when I talk about it, it's my mom was really doing this whole thing from like a very innocent perspective. You know, it was her own disordered relationship with food that was just that she learned from the culture that was then part of our household. And I can have a lot of empathy for that now because that wasn't her fault. She grew up in a time when oppression, uh, 
against females or females experiencing oppression, I guess, was even more significant than it is now. And, you know, she was hard coded with these messages too. And so I can have a lot of empathy for that. She was honestly doing what she thought was best to protect me and was messed up with with her own, you know, body image and her relationship with food. And so forgiving her for that and being able to let go of any kind of blame or resentment or anger was massively important in, in this process in the, and, and in this journey. And then later on, forgiving myself too, forgiving myself for not knowing better, forgiving myself for kind of the years of dieting, which is something that I always work with clients around because often we're kind of looking back and thinking, how did I not know better? How did I go down this path? Like what, you know, why did I waste so many years of my life? But we have to forgive ourselves because again... It was an innocent response to living in a culture that makes us feel the way we do about our bodies. I had to forgive my brother because I carried around so much hatred around that for years because it was really quite traumatizing. But I have empathy for the situation and I've let go of that blame I carried around. He's a completely different person now. We have a really good relationship and I don't let that get in the way anymore at all. And I actually am able to kind of look at that and see the gifts in it and see how that made me stronger, more resilient. I certainly don't take shit from men. That's a huge one. What else did I take away from it? Well, I think the experience in general has just given me a, a, bit, a broader perspective on and the ability to kind of understand how much things like that can can hurt you and shape uh, how you feel about yourself. And certainly something I want my child to learn is that, you know, bullying has lasting <laughs> impacts and, and not to do that. But anyways, that's that's a very short way of saying it. Uh, but in forgiveness is really individual. It's not about the other person. It's really about you letting go so that you can move forward. And I find it in this instance, for me, my, my way of forgiveness was really about trying to see someone else's perspective, trying to have empathy for it in order to really let it go to move forward. Forgiveness is something I sometimes work with clients around in terms of forgiving just, you know, people who have done things to them or themselves. And there's different ways to approach it. But in this particular circumstance, uh, it was helpful for me to really have that empathy and, and take that lens on it. And then the other thing I really learned here is that just the importance of neutralizing the word fat and the shame I had associated with it. That was something that was really important for me in the process of healing from all of that was to to see fat as just like a neutral descriptor, you know, fat and thin, they're just neutral descriptors because uh, that word was so negatively charged with shame for me that um, in order to overcome that, although I don't identify as fat because I'm in a straight size body, I still needed to do the work around neutralizing that word and the beliefs that and 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 challenging the beliefs I had associated with it, which is a lot of the work that I do uh, that I do with clients as well. And so as a parent, what I try to focus on is, you know, I don't use good or bad phrases around food or behaviors. We have like an all foods fit philosophy in this house. Food is not a big deal. We don't say like, oh, yay, you ate your broccoli or like, oh, you're going to eat all that cake. You know, that's just it's just not a big deal. Food is just neutral. And we use the Ellen Satter model, which is uh, we decide 
what we're eating and when, and he, and he gets to decide what he wants and how much. Um, so, you know, we always have like an offering of food. Like I have kind of like three things on a plate and, um, oh, there's always something on there that I know he really likes. And then he gets to decide how much he eats of it and it's unlimited, you know? So if I put, you know, like blueberries down or something and he only wants to eat blueberries, like the other day he just had blueberries for lunch. <laughs> he ate like a pint of blueberries, but I was like, okay, you know, like I'm, I'm really trusting him here. And it, it all tends to balance out in some way, shape or form. And it's been really interesting to watch because he kind of is just like not really that interested in, in things that are more, you know, like sweets and stuff or like cakes and things like he'll kind of have a bite and then just move on. He doesn't really care that much about them. Definitely likes crunchy things better, but even then, you know, he'll eat them and then just sort of stop and move on. And, uh, and it's really cool. It's, it's, it's interesting to see because that's how we're all born. And that's how I believe we can all get back to that with, you know, with support and, um, community and the right education and, and uh, the right tools to, to change those beliefs. And as a parent, I also want to focus on, you know, never commenting on my body or others' body, other people's bodies in in front of him and making sure that if I hear anyone else do that to make, to teach him that that's not right. And so for anyone listening to this, you know, I highly recommend reading Ellen Satter's work, following Feeding Littles if you have a toddler, following Kids Eat in Color if, if you, I guess they're more geared to, towards toddlers too. I'm sure there's other ones that talk more specifically to kids. Uh, Virginia Soulsmith, who was on one of the earlier episodes this season, uh, talks a lot more about this as it relates to kids and specifically slightly older. Cause I think our kids are slightly older, I think anyways. And if you aren't a parent then, but you know, someone who is, then you can always pass along this information for them too. And the other thing I really want to do as a parent is just have a lot of diversity in the media that we're consuming and in books and, and and open up the discussion around these things. He's a little too young for that now, but as he gets older to, you know, make him aware of, of problematic things that we're watching and, um, help to challenge those things so that he's questioning what he's taking in as well. And then most importantly, if you're a parent, the most, the, the biggest thing I want you to take away here is to do your own body image work to heal in order to role model a different way of being for your kids. Cause your kids are watching everything, like everything and they're taking it in and they're developing their beliefs. And if you are struggling with this, that is a huge motivator to get support and, and work through it to heal your relationship with food and your body. Okay. So that was kind of my childhood <laughs> part one. Um, and let's talk about kind of the next phase of my life. And I'm not going to go into too, too many details here. Cause I really, it's, it's more about the lessons that, that I want to share with you about once I hit, once I, um, hit university and had the freedom to eat whatever I wanted, I did. So like that first year, I pretty much lived off grilled cheese and cheesy bread from Domino's and rum and Coke and like not a lot of other stuff. And I, I didn't work out once and I don't know what shifted for me specifically, but somewhere along the way, further into my second or third year in university, I started to get really into exercising as a means of losing weight. And then by my last year of university, that was when things got pretty intense. And that's when I was actively dieting and, and over exercising. And, and that, that started to kind of get more intense after I graduated from school and started working in the corporate world. And I can't pinpoint anything specifically that triggered it. It just sort of happened and then gradually intensified, it, you know, just became this quest. Like I always sort of hated my body, but it became this quest for me to like lose the weight 
once and for all. I was the biggest one out of all my friends. And again, I'm in a straight size body here. So this is coming from like that perspective, but I always was like, well, if they can be smaller, like why can't I? And I remember being at my smallest and still hating my body. And that was, that was a common theme through all these years. Like it was never, it was never enough. I would maybe think it was okay for like a day. And then I'd be like, oh no, no, like it, you know, it's not good enough. (laughs) I don't know. I, I guess I needed to be invisible for it to be good enough. And isn't that the metaphor for it all, really? (laughs) Like that we're just trying to make ourselves less visible and at the same time more visible because we just want to be, we want the validation for being like attractive in the social currency. Anyways, I'm not going to unpack that because that's kind of a deep thought, but I'm just throwing that in there. But my appearance defined who I was and it was really dependent on others giving me validation, you know, getting compliments from other people. Like that was like the only thing that that I wanted. Um, and I guess it was just, you know, feeling unlovable and unworthy, not feeling good enough. And I wanted that validation from other people. And so that pattern of, of, you know, compulsively exercising and restricting food during the week and then binging on weekends. I lived like that for years. And then when I was in my late twenties, that's when I discovered CrossFit. And at the time it was just called a boot camp. And then later found out it was, it was actually CrossFit. But back then I did CrossFit wasn't really a thing. It was like one of the, the only CrossFit gyms in Canada. People didn't really know what it was, but it turned out to be a CrossFit program. And I got into that world and there's so much about CrossFit that I love and hate and uh, especially the kind of underlying ideologies of the owner who they finally fired for making racist comments. But aside from that, at the time, this was many years ago, this was like 14 years ago now, 13 years ago, but at the time, anyways, it all fed into my disordered behaviors because I was like, oh, I want to look like a CrossFit person. And that's where I started to kind of get more into, into like actively uh, dieting aside from just kind of like cutting out, like eating low fat foods. I started to like actually consciously try to diet because it was really promoted within that culture, at least at the particular gym I was at at the time. Every gym is different. They're not all like that for sure. Some don't even mention diet at all, which is what I would recommend looking for if you ever want to go down that road. But at the time, the one that I was at was pretty entrenched in like promoting the paleo diet as part of the program. And that's when that was really introduced to me when I, I was really against it at first because it was the polar opposite of the low fat stuff that I was into. Um, but then I hurt myself before my wedding and I was unable to work out. And so I thought, well, I want to lose my for my wedding. So I'm going to give it a try. And it was the, what was recommended to me was by the CrossFit trainer. And it was kind of like a combination between the paleo diet and the zone diet, which is essentially just like a restriction of certain foods. And macronutrient counting. In other words, it's hell. (laughs) And it occupies a hell of a lot of your mental space to try and figure out what the fuck you're going to eat for each meal. And um, this is going to go to a later point that I'll make just about the time and energy and money that goes into all of this dieting that for me personally, I was able to reclaim and that I always see, you know, my clients able to reclaim because they're not doing that stuff anymore. But let me just talk about like why this is so fucked up for a moment, because So you have these like CrossFit coaches who go to this certification in a weekend and I know what it is because I've done it. And the nutrition piece is like one to two hours max 
But then you have this, these people coming out of it thinking that they can be nutritionists and they start prescribing like these meal plans to their clients that what was prescribed to me was basically an eating disorder. Like, here's what you should eat. And I'm not going to tell you how many calories it was, but it was uh, what would be classified as like an eating disorder, essentially. And I remember when I took the certification, because this is way back, I'm not going to go into like all of my history, but at one point I took the CrossFit certification. I remember the girl teaching that part. She was talking about how she took a Tupperware container with her measured food on a date and everyone laughed like this was normal. They're all like, oh yeah, because that's what we all do. And that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal. Yeah. I drank the Kool-Aid and I started to do that, do types of things like that myself. Like I remember taking Tupperware to family events because I was afraid to eat the food that was being served there. And so kind of cycling back a bit, you know, once I started to get into that diet and that mentality and that sort of cult, so to speak, I really thought, oh, this is the solution to all my problems. Like this is going to, I'm finally going to lose weight on this. And I remember getting down to, you know, probably the thinnest I had been and, and like still it was just, it was never enough. And then what would happen was I would just eat everything. So I would try to eat really strict for a certain period of time. And then I would eat everything under the sun and gain everything back plus more. And that cycle continued for a really long time. And then is it gradually, my body just couldn't do it anymore. And I remember like just not being able to even restrict for like three or four days. Like that was the most I could do it. And then I would basically just like binge on the weekends and at one point in time, I remember I went on a trip and I, I gained 10 pounds in two weeks because I just was like, had been restricting so much before. And that's the cycle of the restrict binge, regain more weight that started to set in for me for, and that can pattern continued for a few more years. So everything sort of progressively got worse as I got older. And that's why whenever I have clients that are younger, I'm like, Oh, you're so lucky you get out of this sooner than I did. And then at the same time, I have clients that are older and I'm like, it's not too late. We can help you. But, uh, you know, at one point in time I was going into work and I was spending the first 20 minutes of my day in putting food into a spreadsheet to track my macronutrients. And I was working out just way too excessively. And it was taking up so much time and energy. And I remember sitting there doing this and I was like, how am I supposed to keep this up? Like, I don't think I'd ever really thought about the fact that, I don't know, in my mind, I sort of thought like, okay, you diet and then your body just stays smaller and then you can eat normal again and your body will stay smaller. But I never really, like, I just remember having this moment where I was like, wait a minute, am I gonna have to keep this up? Like, am I gonna need this spreadsheet to track my food for the rest of my life? And it started, like, I slowly started to kind of think like, wait a minute, but I was still so obsessed and, you know, I drank so much of the Kool-Aid, like diet culture had just infiltrated my brain so much. And I was trying to just like feed this sense of unworthiness by trying to be thinner that I just, that was kind of a fleeting thought and I just sort of let it go. And I mean, I just went through my life, like just constantly feeling panic and shame about my body. All my food decisions were based on whether or not something would cause me to gain or lose weight, which is not a good relationship with food. I was comparing myself to other people, just constantly picking myself apart, hated myself in pictures, compulsively stepping on the scale, checking my body in the mirror, avoiding social occasions because I couldn't control the food. And I just operated that way for years. And I definitely had body dysmorphia. Um, when I look back, but you know, this was kind of like, as this is when things really got the most escalated, I guess you could say. And let me pause here and just talk about what I learned from, from this period of my life. Number one, 
health and nutrition advice is usually rooted in fat phobia and often disordered. So, you know, one of the things that I encourage you to do and and people to do is to really read Body Respect by Lindo Bacon and Lucy Amifor and know that you know, your BMI is not connected to health. Like that, a lot of that is, is a myth. Christy Harrison does an amazing job of unpacking that in anti-diet actually highly recommend that book and know that it's okay to question health and nutrition advice that you're getting. And that if it is rooted in fat phobia, it is probably not the best advice. It's probably incorrect in some way, shape or form. And often a lot of the advice we get from these experts, quote unquote, is disordered. The other thing I really learned here is that dieting gives us a sense of community validation and belonging, which a lot of us are seeking when we don't feel good enough. You know, when we have that lower sense of worthiness, when we don't feel good enough, we seek out that community validation and belonging. It helps to boost our confidence, although it is fleeting and dieting can sort of give you that. Like when I remember being in the paleo community, it was like, Ooh, I found this like sense of community here. And, but really it was kind of rooted in in diet culture, rooted in fat phobia, a lot of it's disordered, and um, it wasn't actually healthy. And what I really needed was to have communities outside of that and to know that I was good enough regardless of like whether I was getting validation from others. Dieting can become your sense of purpose, which makes it even harder to break free from. And that's one of the things that I really work with people around is helping them to define their sense of purpose outside of that now that they're no longer in that world and, and dieting. And the other thing that I learned is that disordered behaviors can escalate slowly over time and something may seem pretty innocent and then get increasingly more problematic. And it's hard to know that when you're in it, because I honestly thought everything I was doing was healthy. I really thought that was normal and healthy because I had a trainer telling me that I had other people telling me that it was being validated by the paleo community. Like everything was, was being promoted from the, under the guise of health. And this was when, this is kind of the shift of when things went from being more like low fat diet culture to wellness culture that is really diet culture in disguise. And we have to be really critical of those things because they're preaching empowerment, they're preaching health, and really they're they're not. <laughs> they're not healthy and it's not empowering because it's taking our time, our energy, and money, and it's it's not actually making us more healthy. It's depleting our mental health. It's in some cases like, you know, messing up with our physical health as well. And I truly believed at the time, I truly believed that everyone could just be thinner if they worked hard enough. And that's the biggest piece of bullshit by advice that diet culture sells us. Like that is what diet culture is propped up by this belief that if we only worked hard enough, if we only found the one diet that would work for us, we could all be thinner. And that's why we think we're broken. <laughs> you know, I thought I was broken. I'm sure many of you can relate to that, but that's how it remains so profitable because it feeds into it this idea that we're broken because we haven't figured it out yet. And so we have to keep trying different ones or trying harder, sticking with it more consistently, so to speak. And, and it's all, all a fallacy because we're not all meant to be thinner. We're body diversity is a real thing and it is set up to fail. Diets are set up so that we will blame ourselves, come back and then reinvest in them again. 
And again, it's like making us feel like we're broken and we're not. Our bodies are actually doing the best they can to try and protect us. That's what they're doing when we binge. They're trying to say, hey, I'm trying to get you back into equilibrium here because you've been depriving me. Uh, And so we feel resentment for our bodies, but really our bodies are doing the best they can to protect us. And it's a protective response when we binge. And when our body regains weight after dieting, that's protective. The other thing that I want you to take away from this is that even if we do lose weight, a lot of the time that doesn't underlying, doesn't change the underlying feelings of not feeling good enough. And a lot of the people I work with will tell me, you know, even when I was at my thinnest, I still didn't feel good enough. And we have to really know that feeling good enough doesn't come from our body size. It comes from detaching our value from our appearance and our body size and starting to really cultivate this belief that we are good enough. The other thing I want you to take away from this is we should never give people praise for people's bodies or their food choices because it only feeds into internalized fat phobia within ourselves and within others and their belief that their value is in their appearance. So I remember when people were commenting me on my body and then they weren't anymore. And that was really hard to let that go because you kind of think like, well, I'm not valuable then because they're not commenting on anything else. And so I think as everyone listening to this, if we can all agree to not comment on people's bodies or their food choices, not give compliments in that way, it can go a long way towards helping to kind of change the way that we as a culture operate. And as I mentioned throughout, I was spending so much time, energy, and money on this quest to lose the weight once and for all. And that's dieting though. It's like, it's a tool of the patriarchy. It keeps us focused on our body instead of working towards fighting against systems of oppression. It keeps us fixated on, you know, the way that we look and trying to be more desirable instead of, you know, having the time and energy to take up space in conversations and, you know, call your local MPs or senators, wherever country you live in and, you know, read and learn and like participate in actually trying to change our culture. And that's why, you know, leaving this world behind is so freeing because it opens you up to being able to pursue and do so many other things, even if that doesn't look like doing something that is directly political. In many ways, just resisting it is a political act and being a role model for others as a result is as well. We are going to end this episode here and I'm going to pick it back up next week with part two where I talk about the healing process and how I came to the other side and what I will call my diet culture awakening and some of the specific things I learned there when I when I finally started to try to eat intuitively and when I was initially learning to accept my body as well as some of the specific steps that I took and things that I give to clients when they are starting this work that are critical in terms of uh, breaking free of body obsession and weight obsession and food obsession. In the meantime, you can find the links and resources mentioned at this in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 174. And I will talk to you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.